CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist-recommended facial moisturizer brand. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine, and this is episode 136. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. Later on in the podcast, digital editor Alex chats to Mandy Yin, owner of Sambal Shiok Laksa Bar in Highbury in Islington. She finds out all about Malaysian laksa, the different varieties, where to get it, and insider tips on how to create the perfect laksa paste and broth. But first, she catches up with editor Laura to share stories from a recent trip to Skona in Sweden. With picturesque micro-bakeries, seaside vineyards, and passionate producers at work in the countryside, there are loads of reasons to visit the southern region known as Sweden's Pantry. Hello, this is Laura, the editor of Olive Magazine, and I'm here with Alex, our digital editor. Hello. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> um, so Alex, now you've written a large guide for olivemagazine.com. You've written it in partnership with Visit Skania, and it's on this southern region of Sweden, right? So yes. how do you pronounce that? I know I'm saying it wrong. So it's uh, it's spelled S-K-A-N-E, but it's actually pronounced Skåne. So I actually say it's like Skåne, <laughs> but with a little accent on the E. So yeah. Skåne. Uh, people say it differently, and yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to lead by your example. Um, now, so I've never heard of it before, although when I think about it, when we drill down on the regions, I have because I'm a fan of Scandinavia, so things like the bridge and Wallander. Um, so if, if you've watched anything like that, you'll know the region, even if you don't think you do. Um, but it definitely sounds like somewhere we should be putting on our travel wish list this year, right? Absolutely, yeah. So it's actually really, really easy to get to, even though, as you say, a few people haven't, like most people haven't heard of it. Because um, although it's in Sweden it's actually only 20 minutes drive from Copenhagen airport so if you go into Copenhagen um it's actually equidistant to the Copenhagen centre and to Malmo which is the largest city in Skåne um, and that's over the Orison Bridge which is the uh, bridge, bridge that the, the uh, what's it called the bridge the bridge, the bridge yeah. is filmed brilliant. on everybody should watch <laughs> um, and yeah it's just a, like that's a really great place to jump off and discover the rest of the region because it's really gritty and um, it's actually also the whole region is known as Southern, uh, Sweden's Southern Larder. Okay. Um, because it's such a productive agricultural area and it's really great for foodies because there are so many little hidden, we don't like to use the word hidden gems, but it really is the case here because there's lots of producers working away in the countryside and the forests. And that's why your guide is so useful because you're yes. sharing all of these <laughs> hidden gems. Um, okay, so what sort of things did you find? Um, so... The the great thing about Skåne is that it's so diverse and it has a really, really long um, scenic rugged coastline and it actually has like beaches. So I was there in September and we were 
actually in swimming costumes on the beach on on in September. So it's so amazing. Yeah, your, your bucks. Yeah, aren't you, you really, lots of different really types are. Of it's, it's incredible. And then you can go to these little fish restaurants. One of my favourites called Hortebrugge, and that is is so so quintessential. And you can go to the beach and then go thereafter. And then inland there are forests and farmland uh, dotted with vineyards. Would you believe it? <laughs> and brilliant like farm to fork restaurants. And it also has, of course, its fair share of little Swedish towns, which is so beautiful with pretty red painted buildings. And there's actually a vineyard in one of these buildings and also um, lots of artisan bakeries. A vineyard well. in a building? Sorry, uh, yeah. So they, they, the, the main building of the vineyard, Halakra Vineyard, is in a main building, I see. obviously. Sorry. I, see. <laughs> I was like, that would be that revolutionary. Would be <laughs> no, it sounds great. Um, and so what about cinnamon buns? Because I know you're a big fan of a cinnamon bun. I am, yes. Connoisseur, some might say. <laughs> yes, I do uh, like to Instagram the odd cinnamon bun. Um, but you definitely, there's so many places for them, obviously, and you're in Sweden, you're in territory of the cinnamon bun. But the, what I loved about Skåne is there are lots of bakeries doing things with ancient Swedish grains and like okay. really different cinnamon buns. Um, kind so, of next level cinnamon buns. Yeah, 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 they're really, it's almost like the artisan, you know, the sourdough mm. and people are, as you say, taking it to the next level in San Francisco and in London and everywhere. And they're doing similar things in this southern region, and uh, the I th- it's really hard to say the best one. One of the best is from Soderberg and Sara, and it's a bakery from a Swedish trio, and they're really young, Per Tild and Pa, and they they've got loads of foodie places in in the region, so you should check them out. Okay. Um, they have a shop and cafe in the town of Ustad and one in Malmo itself. And they use a combination of spelt and sourdough topped with like sweet cinnamon and the fragrant cardamom, of course. Mm, so cardamom's my favourite. Yeah, mine mm. as well. <laughs> and then another favourite was, um, it's so picturesque and idyllic, this place called Bivagen Biva, 35. Okay. And that's in Osterlen, um, which is a really um, cute little town in the east of Skåne and um Matty the owner's buns have an extra sour edge from the he has a 48 hour fermentation Ooh. process so they're really extra sour and that it's in a good way obviously <laughs> and then they've got all of their fragrant cardamom and cinnamon in there as well that's so. great. Now, you tracked down some other producers as well that are making really interesting, slightly unexpected foods, didn't you? Yeah. So um, that trio I was talking about, the, uh, the behind Soderberg and Sarah, they they do lots with flour and they, they have a pizza place in Malmo. And also they we came across their little pasta factory in the middle of the countryside in an old tractor repair factory as you do so so random but so lovely because it was just in the middle of this little town and uh it's tiny little factory (laughs) and they have um they use that ancient swedish grains again to make these this amazing fresh pasta and um this area on Skåne's southeastern corner is a real hotspot for producers, um, Osterlen. We met um, a lady called Ulrika at Osterlen Chocolade, and she's super geeky about chocolate and uses all local produce, produce to create some really like smooth pralines. So, for example, there's Kivik's iconic apples, so that's really famous for their apples. 
and then aronia berries picked every october after the first frost and then um she freezes them and then <clears throat> makes them into pralines what a great way to try local produce in chocolate i know sounds, it's amazing. sounds amazing <laughs> and they really really taste you can really taste the produce great. it's not like oh this is Token. a bit of a syrup but yeah. she uses the ingredients and she makes the purees herself and then obviously the citrusy sea buckthorn that's um that's everywhere in sweden so you can try and forage your own if, if you know what you're doing of course <laughs> yes uh now drinks too i hear yes. you had lots of lovely drinks yeah, so um, as I mentioned before, Skåne has its own wine route, which is um, quite unexpected, and it links over 20 wineries, wow. which, is, um, which is pretty impressive, yeah. I think. My favourite was this idyllic little, as I was saying before, um, a little vineyard called Halakra, and the production is in an old red barn with an on-site orchard and gardens, and then you've got your contrasting, uh, very modern, contemporary Nordic Sea winery, and that's on the East Coast. But also, um, as in the whole of Sweden, there's a really, really great um, craft beer industry and everybody is is brewing their own things. Like even the hotels we're staying at, these little hotels, everybody wanted to get a piece of that. So um, it has some really interesting names and, yes. and types of beers from yeah. the guide. So um, in Lamskrona, that's in the far west, that they have loads of breweries actually in this small town. And uh, my favourite was Brecariette, and that brews really unique sours and wild ales. So you have Lucifer, which is <laughs> fermented with passion fruit and saffron and um, wild and juicy that <laughs> has um, notes of lemon peel and pineapple and bread as well. Uh, again, as you do. So they all sound great, really interesting. Um, so if you're heading off for like a romantic weekend, you had done your wine, you'd done your beer, where would you recommend for a really lovely dinner? Something a bit fancy. Okay, so... There's a lot. Um, I'm just... Daniel Berlin is... Um, quite iconic in the region okay so i hadn't heard of it before but um all of my swedish friends and family said that you're in for a treat being able <laughs> to go there um, i actually didn't end up going there which was a shame i ate daniel blin's food somewhere else but um i've heard it's absolutely beautiful it's the place to go what style of food is it <clears throat> so he focuses on um local produce and really seasonal produce and actually a lot of it's vegetable based and he has his own um he has his own allotment and it's again it's in this tiny little town in the middle of nowhere and there's this amazing restaurant it's only got 15 seats so really special when you're there you though. really have to book far in advance um and then back in malmo the place to be when we went was called Vastergarten on um, the street Vastergarten. And that was a really intimate dining room and that had, again, seasonal dishes. And they focus on fish a bit okay. more, but they also have like mixed uh, meat tartare with smoked paprika and amazing pickled shiitake mushrooms. And they they adorn their pro their dishes with all these amazing um, pickles and produce. Um, but my favourite, I think, is Liren in okay. Malmö. And that's a really small neighbourhood restaurant that uses Scanian produce, um, such as beech roses and you've got that really smoky birch sap and even Swedish cantaloupe. 
So, yeah. Um, and the owner creates dishes that he describes really evocatively as fire or embracing us with the forest of Sweden. He's brilliant. He's really, really great. So, so if you want to try all of the food of that region and the cooking techniques, but in a fine dining style, they're the places to go to. Yes. But if you're after like more field fork, rustic, down to earth type cooking, where should we be going? So my favourite, um, there are a few. And there's actually a guide on olivemagazine.com like that. Actually, there's five, the five best field to fork restaurants. But my favorite was uh, Hortobruga, which I mentioned before. And that's this really cute little seaside spot where the chefs create dishes from whatever the farmers drop off that day. And they have these, um, they have a smokehouse adjoining and the chefs work their way through the cuts in the lunchtime basket so you kind of it's kind of potluck what you're going to get you could get the leg you could get a pork belly you know you can get whatever whatever they give you really um but they serve it with local salad leaves and bread from Soderberg and Sarah and plenty of pickles that are all sitting in the jars along the shelves and it's so cozy and there's vinyl as well and with knobbly candlesticks and it's just a gorgeous place you feel like you're in someone's farm kitchen or something making me want a bit <laughs> a trip to scone 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 okay <laughs> sold okay so if you want to find out where to eat and drink in scone um you can head to olivemagazine.com and alex has done some really comprehensive guides really drilling down on different details from field to fork restaurants to producers all in partnership with visit scone and it's uh, you can also visit their website which is visit Skonia.com. Lovely. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you. Hi, it's Alex, and I'm here with Mandy Yin. Hello, Mandy. Hello, Alex. So Mandy and I have met plenty of times over the years on her Laksa journey. Um, and it was first on a market stall in Soho selling her chicken satay burgers and sambal um, sauce. And also you had some rendang burgers, didn't you? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Mandy launched a Laksa pop-up in Soho, which proved to be so popular that she now has a fully-fledged Laksa bar in Islington, in Highbury Islington, don't yes. you? Near Holloway. On Holloway Road? Holloway Road, yeah. yeah. Um, and that opened up last year serving the most amazing laksa I can vouch for it myself so I recommend you all go and try it um so Mandy at the laksa bar there how many laksas are there to choose from so we have our traditional signature um laksa which is actually a mix between a curry laksa and an assam laksa okay so that's our traditional broth uh, we also have a vegan version of the broth, which is shrimp-free. So okay. two two main broths, and then you have about five different combinations of toppings. So wow. prawn, uh, the special, which is prawn and chicken, just chicken, the vegan special. Uh, yeah, so lots Gosh, of variety. Lots to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> so the most classic laksa that yes. you serve. Yes. Um, how do you start when you're preparing this? Like, what's the first thing you do? So the most important element to any laksa is the spice paste. Yes. Uh, so, and that takes up um, the most time and the most ingredients. So our spice paste has around 15 different ingredients. 15? 15, yeah. Wow, and okay. so you just, uh, the main ones um, are so onions, garlic, uh, ginger, 
then um, three different types of chili. Oh gosh, um, okay. We've got uh, the fresh red long chilies. Um, that's just for the freshness. Then you've got dry chilies for the heat. And um, what type of dry chilies? So they're the whole, uh, so yeah, the, long the whole long ones. dry okay. chilies, um, generally from China. Um, and so a lot of laksa recipes will tell you to deseed those. I don't because oh, <laughs> I like my so food spicy. spicy. Yeah, actually, isn't the because um, I think a lot of people think that the myth is that the spiciness comes from the seeds, but isn't it the pith yeah. between uh, the seeds? Yeah, exactly. But you know, so, by deseeding it, you gen- you tend to you know, use a knife to scrape off the pith as well. Of course. Um, but so, no, we we don't deseed anything. So if we wanted to create a laksa, but for people like me who aren't very good with spice, would you suggest that? at the very beginning we just take that out of the paste yeah absolutely so um either you you uh choose to omit um either the dried chilies or the fresh chilies just use one um and then also de-seed whatever you're using that will definitely help good tip thanks so what else have we got um so dried chilies then we've got uh the ground spices so we've got uh the chili powders uh coriander cumin turmeric um, and then we've also got in the traditional broth, the shrimp for the uh, traditional broth paste, we've got dried shrimp, which is Ooh, very pungent. Great, yes. So you've got to rehydrate those. Um, and it just gives a really strong depth of flavor as well as shrimp paste, which um, so you find a lot in uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, Thailand. Also, Southeast Asians use it a lot. Can uh, you get like that umami. in London many oh, yeah, places? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so... Uh, we tend to use the um, shrimp paste that comes in a block, uh, generally from Malaysia or Indonesia. Right. Um, but otherwise, you, as a substitute, you can use the Thai kapi, which comes in jars, which is more solid. We tend not to use the uh, Vietnamese sh- uh, shrimp paste because that's a bit more runny, uh, okay. and not quite as intense. And we, that doesn't give uh, the same flavor. No, it's, okay. it's, it's sort of um, slightly weaker, and we like in some more intense yeah. umami. Nice punchy. Yeah, breath. absolutely. <laughs> um, so that you know, we uh, blitz that all up, um, and then the next stage is actually the most critical. We you have to fry it off with a good amount of oil, um, just so that uh, the flavors all start to combine um, and amalgamate, become stronger. Um, And you should, if possible, fry off that paste at least 24 hours before you want to actually make the broth. So uh, like any curry, um, the flavors really intensify the longer you give it. Okay, oh, I bet that's an amazing smell. Did you do that in the morning in the... Uh, uh, yeah, well, generally, so Mondays um, and Fridays are our laksa prep days, so oh. the pace. So, um, yeah, it's a very long day because um, we prepare, I know, like at least 30 kilos every week. So Gosh, it's, it's wow. quite a long process. A lot of laksa. Yeah, a lot of laksa. Um, but, you know, that's the most important, that's the uh, cornerstone to... <laughs> What I find that's amazing is with these pastes is, and you can really tell in the punchiness of them and the fragrance because there's so many ingredients. If you look at a recipe, it's often quite overwhelming if you're making your own paste. Like you need like three lemongrass stalks for (laughs) a tiny amount of paste, but it just shows that it really, really intensifies, doesn't it? Absolutely. And and it's because Malaysia is the melt, like a melting pot culture. You've got the um, sort of Malay people, the Indians, the Chinese, and we all sort of you know, took the best out of each other's uh, cuisines. And so the laksa is the prime example of that because you've got it's basically a, a noodle soup, Chinese, um, yep. but using the indigenous Malaysian um, ingredients. Uh, the Indians like their spices, so it's just yeah, it's beautiful. 
And how do you get that classic fragrance from the the laxa? Do you use, use galangal, don't you? So, um, so galangal is used. Um, Definitely more in the Assam laksa, right? Um, so, which are, we are starting to serve as well. Um, for our normal um, curry laksa, we just use lit ginger, uh, and that's fine. Okay. Yeah, it's. Uh, but if you want to use galangal for sure, uh, you can substitute it for ginger or vice versa. So, what's the difference with the Assam laksa? Is it just that you use galangal, or is there any other difference? Uh, for sure. So, Assam laksa, which we're starting um, to roll out now as a special every Wednesday, um, it's, it comes from uh, Penang um, and it uses no coconut milk. So, that's very different to ah, the normal, yes. uh, to our traditional um, signature laksa, the curry laksa. Um, so, Assam laksa has a lot more tamarind sourness. Um, we use the tamarind paste, like yeah, tamarind <laughs> uh, paste as well as the tamarind peels, uh, with, to infuse more sourness as well as oh hot mint um, and the galangal in in a very punchy, pungent mackerel stock. So yeah, it's, it's quite strong. Mackerel, mackerel, yeah. It ah. has to be a, an oily fish um, to impart the um, the proper uh, yeah umami. And um, it's a lot more because the um, the classic laxa is more creamy, isn't it? Obviously, yes. it's the coconut milk. Yep. But um, when on those, is it what's it called? Laxa Mile in Penang, and they have it. You have it for breakfast, don't you? Yeah. It's, it's so fragrant. You can smell all these amazing, like toppings and like the laxa paste is coming off from like five, six in the morning, isn't it? It's amazing. Definitely. So in terms of um, making our traditional laksa, so we've we've done the paste. We did that yesterday. 24 hours has passed. We start to make that broth. So we'll heat up the paste again. Um, then we'll add um, sort of coconut milk as well as coconut cream to ah, thicken it slightly, okay. give it yeah. that um, richness. So um, la- curry laksa is also known as laksa lemak in Malaysia. Laksa lemak. Lemak. And lemak means um, rich or fatty. And that comes from uh, the coconut milk, typically. Right. Yep. And then we'll add um, sort of tamarind paste, sugar, uh, just to... So Malaysian food is all about balancing flavors. So spicy, sweet, sour, um, salty. Um, and so laksa is a good example of that. And then... When you, because I've, I've, as I said, I've had um, the laksa at your your place and it's fantastic. Um, and what I love about it is you just get this really big bowl of broth, and then there's loads of different textures in there. And you actually create that with different noodles as well, don't you? So you use two types of noodles. We do. Is uh, there a reason yeah. why that's traditionally used? Or So at the restaurant, um, the we, uh, as a default, serve it with r- just rice noodles, um, thick rice noodles. Uh, but we do also offer the egg noodles um, for the contrast in texture. So the egg noodles are a bit more springy, a bit more QQ texture. Um, and it, yeah, just... Asians like different different things yeah. <laughs> in every mouthful. So with the, if you do come to the restaurant and ask for the two different types of noodles combined, then you'll get that experience. Great. Um, but it really is up to personal preference, you know. So some people just prefer rice noodles, thin or thick. Um, some people just prefer egg noodles by itself. Uh, you know, laksa just like hundreds if not thousands of different recipes and variations so it really is as you wish yeah i love those slippery rice noodles that because you but it's really it's quite hard to to actually drink the broth isn't it when you've got when you've got a spoon i always when i went to malaysia i found it 
amazing how people use their chopsticks and like people are trying to teach me but I'm not very good (laughs) (laughs) so where is this is a hard question where's your favorite black surf place in Malaysia in oh man so that is um almost impossible question to answer because like I said that you know everywhere in Malaysia serves excellent laksa on the whole um but I would say um my favorite place is in KL um Kuala Lumpur Lumpur. yeah Uh, and it is in uh, near Pataling Street which is uh, KL's Chinatown it's called Madras Lane curry laksa it's sort of hidden away um but it it is pretty phenomenal that laksa there and no to be fair there's also a phenomenal um laksa place in Penang um serving uh white curry laksa and that's in um Cecil Street Market uh the, so generally you'll find uh, the best laksas in hawker centers you know street food yes. in, is um that is Malaysia um yeah so those two places Cecil Street Market in Penang and Madras Lane curry laksa in Kuala Lumpur Right, well, I'll definitely go there if, if I go back to Malaysia, which I definitely want to. Um, so, yeah, I loved when I travelled around Malaysia. I did love it because there's just so many different varieties. And my actually, my favourite, controversially, was the Sarawak laksa. Okay. Um, because I don't know if you've... Have you ever had it? I've not, actually. No. So, um, I, I really, really want to try it. But a lot of my um, sort of customers uh, from Sarawak, they do say that mine... It is similar in flavor profile because it's very, very shrimpy. I understand Sarawak laksa uses very rich shrimp um, stock, uh, prawn stock. Okay. Mm. Yeah, because what I found that it was a lot lighter mm-hmm. and it's a lot more fragrant, isn't okay. it? They yeah. use, um, they don't use as much coconut milk, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they don't use coconut milk at all. Um, but Sarawak, just for context, um, is actually, it's part of Malaysia, but it's actually on the island of Borneo, isn't it? So um, you can really see the geography and like how it's, you know, transformed from this traditional laksa and it, they've got their very own their very own type. And I actually had it, um, Grand Char, do you know Grand Char? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he recommended a really great place in Sarawak in, a, in an old temple. Oh, oh, and it's this nice. little hawker centre, an old temple. It's fantastic. So, yeah, if anybody's going to Malaysia and wants to find out um, where to get the best Sarawak laksa, then just let us know uh, at Olive Magazine. Um, but in the meantime, if you want to try it in London, then obviously head along to Sambal Shock Laksa Bar. So what's the address again, just for people to... It's 171 Holloway Road. Fab. Okay. So, and also, yeah, go on the Wednesday as well to try the Assam Laksa because that's a really different variety, Very, very different. Um, and it's quite hard to find a good version in London. Um, and Not I think anymore. Uh, No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ours is very good. So um, come check it out. Very fresh, um, aromatic, um, sort of perfect for cold weather. And if you feel like something lighter, Assam Laksa is the one. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much. I'm definitely, definitely craving Laksa now. So maybe I'll go and have some tonight. Excellent. See you (laughs) soon. Thanks, Alex. So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you liked this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd really love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our brand new February issue on the newsstand now or download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.